I don't know about you, but I came in this morning not too pumped to be at church. Is that okay for me to admit that to you? And uh, nothing, not about you guys, my own personal life, and uh, my four-year-old in particular. And um, I started worship, and I just said, God, I just have to have you. Because what is the point? What's the point of being here if we're not gathered in his name, you know? And as I began to worship, you're a good, good father. And there was this thing inside of me that didn't want to sing that. You ever feel that? I don't really feel like you're being a good dad to me right now, God. And I told my spirit, I told my soul, get your act together. (laughs) You're a pastor. I told my soul, put your hope in God like the Psalms tell us to do. And I just began to sing, I know you're a good father. I know you are. Even if I don't feel it in this moment, I know you are. And he began to to come, and I felt this wave of his presence. And I thought, I could go home now. I'm not, obviously, I'm still here. But I thought to myself, I could go home now. I felt that, that thing, there's nothing, there is nothing like it on the earth. You guys know what I'm talking about? When you get to this place in the spirit where you touch the the edge of his presence, we can't touch the fullness because we would die. That's what we know from the word. But we touch the edge. We're like that, that woman breaking all of the rules with the issue of blood, probably hunched over, coming through the crowd. She's supposed to be yelling that she's unclean and, and she's touching everyone and she just knows if she can just get that piece, that thread, he will meet her. And when she meets that hem of his garment, bam, that's all she needed. There's something about the discipline to reach and touch the thing of God that we have to build into our lives. Because otherwise, we're just walking around with head knowledge, we're just walking around with confidence, but we're not touching him and we're not letting him get in us. Does this make sense? And so today we're actually starting a, I wasn't planning on saying all of this, but here we are. Today we're actually starting a new series um, that we're calling The Way, and we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and the life he lived and the life that he's inviting us into. And leading up to Easter, I think this is going to be a really good thing for us to do for our souls, for our minds, for our spirits, to look at the person of who Jesus is and who he was in the word. And so we're going to look at John chapter 1 today. I want to encourage you to uh, turn in your Bibles there. I don't have any of the scripture for today on the screen because I want you to see it in your own Bibles, underline it, star it, whatever. But I had this moment with the Holy Spirit two weeks ago as I was getting ready for this. And he said, I want you to read... um, John chapter 1, and I started reading, and I felt like, I felt as though he put his finger and read to me, and I want to read to you like he read to me, and we're going to kind of dive into what this means, but John chapter 1, verse 1, I'm reading out of the new NIV, the the post-1980 translation of the NIV. Here we go. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. This is talking about Jesus. Verse 2, he says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him 
Nothing was made that has been made. And this is where it gets good. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to read this again. I just want you to just let the Holy Spirit highlight, highlight this to you. In the beginning was the word. So before everything, Jesus was there. And the word was with God. But not only that, the word was God. Even from the beginning, Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. He was a part of creating you and I. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then in him was life. In him was life itself. And that life was the light of all mankind. This is interesting because just a few chapters later in John 10, he begins to talk about the abundant life, right? That he gives us abundant life. And, and, and what I'm seeing here is that when Jesus gives you abundant life, he's actually giving you himself because he himself is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Current, present tense. And all the things that have been, darkness has yet to overcome the light. The light, this is what we're going to look at today, that Jesus is the light of the world. And you've probably heard that. You've probably sang that. You've probably clapped along in, in kids' uh, club if you were, grew up in a Christian home. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. And it's almost like a cliche to us. But today what I want to do is I want us to stop, zero in, and look. What does this mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? And what does it mean for you today? Okay? So that's where we're going with this. Help us, Lord. I want to read to you John chapter 1, verse 5 in the Amplified. So if you're on a, a Bible app, flip over to the Amplified. Amplified translation. This is really interesting to me. If you're not familiar with the Amplified, essentially it is, uh, they, they, their form of translation of the Bible is to put in there all the different things those words could mean so you can kind of judge for yourself what it's trying to say. And so verse 5, it says, the light shines on in the darkness and the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. Okay. Flip over with me to John chapter 3, verse 19. We're going to see in the book of John the theme of Jesus being the light of the world is pretty extensive here. And uh, this is the heels of the Nicodemus story. It's an unbelievable story where Jesus begins to talk about what is salvation. But we're going to look at the end of it in verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. This is, this is how they sum it up. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth comes into the light. So what this is talking about is the light of God, the person of Jesus, exposes our motivations. It exposes whether we really want to live with, for him or not and with him. Flip over to John chapter 8, verse 12. This is a really interesting promise. I think this is a promise for some of you guys. So as we read this, I just 
want you to have your ears open to the Holy Spirit. If you feel like this is for you, uh, you need to take that. Chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I I think there's a promise here for us. If you struggle with feeling like you're walking in darkness, whether that's depression or demonic things or being attacked like that, this is a promise for you that when you follow God, you actually walk in his light. Flip over to John chapter 9, verse 5. I think you guys are seeing this is a, a big theme in the book of John. Jesus again says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 12, verse 46. John chapter 12, verse 46 says, um, let's just read 44. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So my first question to you today is why is this theme of Jesus being the light of the world echoed so many times in the book of John? What does this mean for you and I? Because we know if there's repetition about a scripture, then there's something significant for us to learn from it. Amen? So here's what I want you to see about Jesus being the light of the world. Light and darkness in the kingdom of God, in the spiritual realm, does not operate off of a zero sum. Now, most of y'all know I'm not good at math, so I'm going to try to explain what I mean by this, and Renee and other math whizzes can correct me later. But uh, essentially, if you have a zero sum of something, you have 100. If you take away 40, you're only going to have how many left? 60. I did know that math. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, so we're going to zero it out at, at, like, it will be depleted and it will be done. Does this make sense? And so when you're budgeting, for example, and you have $1,000 a month coming in from your job, and you have a car payment of $300 a month, well, then you only have, you can only work your budget around what's left in that paycheck. Does this make sense? The kingdom of God does not operate on this. Kingdom math is not natural world math. How do we know this? Well, Jesus fed the 5,000 from not enough to feed 5,000, right? So the kingdom, it doesn't work like this. Light in the kingdom, because it is Jesus himself, is always what it is. It is non-diminishable. Darkness is a completely other source. They're not pulling from the same place. Does this make sense? So Jesus being light and darkness existing, they're not vying for the same amount of 100. Let me put it this way. If we look at the earth and we just say in generous numbers, we just generously say, you know what? I think 60% of the world is operating in light. Now, that's probably too generous, but let's just say for today, okay? 60%. So our logical minds would say, 40% is operating in darkness. What happens if the 40% of darkness begins to grow? If darkness begins to multiply, now does that mean that the light of God is diminished? No, because they're not operating out of a zero sum. Does this make sense? So for the light of God to exist on the earth means nothing about the darkness that also exists. Darkness cannot diminish light. It cannot overtake light. It cannot dampen light. It cannot vanquish light. 
It just can't do it. It's not how it works. When the sun begins to rise, the darkness goes away. When the sun begins to set, as long as there is a light source, the darkness stays away. Does this make sense? So Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, is a proclamation that he is the definitive force, period. And that he will be the definitive force, period. When we go back to chapter 1, he was there in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. And every single thing that was created was created with his involvement. So if Jesus is the light of the world and we are in him, what do we have to fear? Light will always be more powerful than darkness. Always. As long as there is a shred of light in the world, that little bit will always be more powerful than darkness. Jesus himself, he is our beacon. He is radiance. He is source, and he is our life. We get all of this out of these first three verses in John. Apart from him is darkness. So again, I just, I just pose this question. Why does he echo this statement, I'm the light of the world, so much? It's interesting because this is before the cross, right? So anytime we're studying the Bible, we need to put our scripture on the timeline of, uh, I guess you're looking at it this way. So Old Testament, cross, New Testament. So we want to know every scripture that we're reading, is it falling under the Old Covenant or under the New Covenant? Because it affects the way that we apply it, right? Not everything in the Old Covenant is gone, Some of it is, but not everything is. So we just have to put it in its rightful place. So it's fascinating to me that prior to the resurrection, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. But not only that, he is saying, you are the light of the world. So flip over to Matthew chapter 5. This is so interesting to me because you would think that you you only can become the light of the world uh, after salvation. But I don't think that's true because no one was saved when Jesus said this. I'm going to explain this in a second. So this is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning, excuse me, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you, he's talking to his people, the Jews, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Flip even farther back to Isaiah 42. Here we've got Jesus talking to the people of God and saying, you are a light of the world. In Isaiah 42, verse 5 and 6 and 7, Isaiah's prophesying, he says, This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it. I love when they do this, when they like add in adjectives of who God is. It's like, it's awesome. Who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk in it. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prisons, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, this is what he's trying to do, but this is what he's trying to do through you. 
He's trying to get you to be a light to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The people who are not in the family of God. They actually belong to God because he created them, right? So we call them pre-Christians because, you know, nobody's actually, you're not like not created from God and then all of a sudden you are when you get saved. Everybody was created from God. There's just those who are with him and who are not yet. And so what Jesus is saying, what God is saying through this prophecy is, look, this is the end goal that you would be a light to those who are not with us. Flip over to Isaiah 49. This is our last scripture we're going to look at this morning. Isaiah 49 verse 6, he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes to Jacob and to bring back those to Israel I have kept. And then he says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So again, we're seeing a piece of the heart of God that his people would be a light. Matthew chapter five, he looks at his people and he says, you are the light of the world. I have a little um, fake lamp of what this is, a replica lamp I meant to bring this morning, but forgot, which I'm just now realizing, so I apologize to you for that. But essentially, the lamps that they had in Jesus' day were about this size. They fit in your hand, and they had a little hole at the top and a hole in the end, and you'd stick a little wick in there with some oil. And you could carry them around. The parable of the ten virgins, when they're carrying around their little lamps, that's what they were carrying. They're small. They're kind of like flashlights. And they would actually build their houses with these little shelves up on the wall that they would set these little lamps on, and that would create light in their room. And if, you know, the majority, the Feast of Tabernacles, for example, used a lot of candles. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, all the houses would have had their candles going. And if you looked at Jerusalem, which is on a hill, then you would be able to see it from a long way away because in those days there's no electricity, right? So in the darkness, just a handful of candles would be a beacon of hope. It's interesting that that's the example Jesus chooses to give about you and I, that we are the light of the world. He is light, and we are like him, and therefore we are light. Are you guys catching this? So here's my question. Like, what do we do with this? For me, the question I've been asking is, how do we embrace this part of God's nature? Because we don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Thank you, right? So it's not enough to just hear it and go, oh, this is so great. I am the light of the world. High five. And then that's it. So how do we actually do this word? What does it look like in our life to put it into practice? Well, here's what I need you to understand. You plus God equals power. Not all power. <laughs> Not untouchable power. But you plus God equals power. What does this mean? When Jesus is the light of the world and he is in you, that light has the power to shine on any darkness in your vicinity. In you or around you. This is huge. This is something that I genuinely believe as, uh, I think one of the reasons why the world can look at Christians and, and take it or leave it is because we have not demonstrated what it looks like to be powerful towards darkness. We have demonstrated powerlessness. I, I wasn't going to talk about this. No, I'm not going to talk about it. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. Muzzle me, Jesus. Um, you plus God is powerful. I saw this thing on Instagram the other day. And it was a, a little real thing. And this lady, she was standing in her bathroom with her bathroom scale. And she looked at the scale and she said, she said, you are the reason why this scale has power to affect your day. I was like, that's a really interesting thought, right? 
How many of you guys don't, don't raise your hand? You weigh yourself on a regular basis. Okay, I do. It's how I keep myself healthy, right? Thank you. I like to know where's the trend going. <laughs> if it's going that direction, I probably should make some changes. And so I like to do that. But I don't ever walk away feeling down on myself because I chose a long time ago to disempower the number from any emotional effect to me, okay? But that was a deliberate choice. And I loved what she was saying in this is saying, look, if you are affected emotionally by the number on the scale, not factually, not scientifically, but emotionally, you guys know what I'm talking about? You live the rest of your day feeling like a terrible person. You look at the cookie with longing and like sadness. I want to eat you, but I'm so ashamed. Like all that cycle that we go through is because we've chosen to give power to the number on the scale. And it got me thinking, what areas of my life, of our life, do we give power to something that doesn't belong with it? In what areas of my life am I empowering something by what I think about it because I haven't shown the light of Jesus into that place? You guys tracking with me? Things are getting really quiet. That's okay. But we get to decide what holds power in our life. So how much power do we give our feelings? How much power do we give the enemy? For some of us, we, we like to think the enemy is all-powerful in our life, right? We're scatting demons out of every corner. Get out, get out, get out, get out. I think I saw a shadow. <laughs> Spritz me with oil, Lord. Because we've given power to this idea that the demonic is more powerful than we are. I will never forget about eight years ago, I was spending time with the Lord and, and I had been reading, I've told you guys this before, I'd been reading so many books on spiritual warfare. I'd been learning and learning and learning and, and, uh, and I I'd had a lot of freedom, but I still had so much more freedom and I'll never forget the Lord saying to me, hey, do you want to know how I see spiritual warfare? And I said, you know, Lord, I was pretty sure that's what I was doing. <laughs> I was pretty sure I was seeing it how you saw it. And he goes, No. If you come up to where I am, you'll be able to see it in a completely different mindset. Mindset. And what I began to realize was I had actually been empowering the enemy by learning about him and then being afraid of what he could do. Oh, a spirit of Jezebel is like this. Oh, no, that might be the spirit of Jezebel in my life. Instead of walking in and saying, I am the light of the world because of Jesus, not in arrogance, but the light that's in me can obliterate the darkness that is around me. I don't walk into a setting worried about what in the atmosphere is going to overtake me anymore. I walk into a setting and I say, stop my foot like Elsa and the light shines out, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That we walk into a setting and we host the light of God and the light overtakes the darkness. The darkness cannot overtake the light. It's only the reverse, this is interesting to me. How much power does our suspicion have? We were talking about this at our Wednesday night house church this week. When you walk into a room and you just don't know what someone's motives are and you're not sure that you want to talk to them. How much power are we giving that suspicion? Oh, is that getting too personal? How much power does our belief system have? So tough questions. What are we giving our power to? Here's where I kind of want to land. We are carriers of light. We are the light of the world. You are, the, turn to your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. And that light, tell them that, and that light is more powerful than you know. 
you and I, we are carriers of light. I, I have a, a mentor, an, an older mentor in my life that um, we would see intermittently. He was kind of like an advisor, a distant advisor for us. And uh, his name is Floyd McClung, and he is a big guy. He's like 6'6", six, six, real tall. And he, when he walks in the room, you just have this sense that Jesus showed up. I don't know how else to articulate. Has anybody ever been around somebody like that? It's like it's like intoxicating, you know? He is the most normal-looking person you've ever seen, and he walks in the room, and everybody just kind of tears up a little bit. And he's figured out how to love people with no agenda, that it oozes off of him. And I remember, <laughs> I remember the last time that we saw him in person, and he had come to Norman to... Um, preach at, do a training with another church and we went just to see him because it had been a long time and he hugged me and I just was like how do I bottle this feeling <laughs> how do I bottle this up and I said Floyd there are days where I long for a hug from you he's like my dad's age and he just kind of smiled you know and I said but seriously I want I, I need that in my life at times and I left that last interaction and I thought to myself God Teach me, show me how to be like that to other people. Where just being in my presence is like being in the presence of Jesus. I know Floyd and his wife, they were missionaries in Afghanistan like in the 80s. So it, when it was really intense, they were missionaries in the red light district in the Amsterdam in the 90s. They've been in South Africa for most of the 2000s and now he's dealing with a, a, a lot of debilitating health stuff. Um, but I mean, it's like these are the like the people of the Bible, right? There's another guy that we had the privilege of spending some time with named Jim Yost, and he's the same way. We went to uh, Indonesia to be on a mission trip with him back in like 2005, and we got off the plane, and one of the the team members that had come with us was having some visa issues. They weren't letting her into the country, and Grant and I were like 22. We were leading this team. I don't know who did that, but that's what happened. <laughs> we're like in Indonesia halfway around the world trying to figure out what to do with this girl who's about to be deported off the plane in a matter of an hour, and Grant and I literally sat down and did rock, paper, scissors to see who would go with her to Singapore because we literally knew no one in Singapore, and God made a huge way, and everything ended up fine, but in the middle of all that, this guy Jim calls who we were going to, to be with, and we were in Jakarta, and we were traveling to Jayapura, which is another eight hours. So in total, it was 56 hours of travel to get to their place. It was brutal. And uh, when so he calls, and he says, is everything okay? And Grant said, no, actually, we're having this problem, blah, blah. And he said, I felt this disturbance in my spirit. Okay, now, of course, I'm going, of course, you're like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? I could sense it in the force. No, but he said, I felt, I, I felt this disturbance in my spirit. I knew something was wrong. What do you need? And in that moment, I thought, how do I become like that? What is that? How do you be so just in tune with God that, that you know that? And what I'm discovering is the person of Jesus being at work in your life begins to seep out of you. That's what it's supposed to do. But if we are going to put our lamps underneath bowls of our insecurity, if we're going to put our light underneath bowls of, of our frustration with how we look, we're going to put our light underneath bowls of the sound of our voice so we don't want to be on the phone with somebody, we're going to put our light under, do you see what I'm saying? Then the light doesn't get to shine. And the only reason why it can't shine, which is what Jesus is alluding to in Matthew 5, is because we put it under a bowl. The darkness can't actually do anything to your light. It's a matter of where you choose to present it. 
I'm saying ouch in my own mind too, just so you know. We are atmosphere shifters. And we are whether we want to be or not. So if we are children of the light, if we are made in his image, if Jesus is the light of the world, and then therefore we are the light of the world as he says, then we walk into a room and we shift it into that way. If we believe that we are not strong in God, we don't have what we need, we're, we're in whatever the excuse might be, we walk into a room and we actually shift it to be insecure. How many of you have ever walked into a room and things are like going well? You're enjoying the people that are in the room and then someone walks in that's deeply insecure and all of a sudden the room is not fun anymore? It works both ways. Here's my challenge to you. Be the icebreaker with your light. Walk into the room knowing you are the light of the world. You can shift. If, you go into, if you're in school, you go into your classroom, you sit down, you shift that light. If people are like, what's up with you? Just smile at them. <laughs> Having a good day. Is that bad? We shift the atmosphere with the light of God. So here's where I want us to land. I, wanna, I know we've done this in the past. We haven't done this in a while. But I actually just want to take some time uh, to let the Holy Spirit speak. And uh, then we're going to pray for a couple of quick things. But I've got three questions I felt like the Holy Spirit highlighted. And so what I want you to do is just, just quiet your mind, quiet your heart. And we're going to ask God to help shine his light in us. And if you're not familiar with hearing the voice of God, if you close your eyes and just say your full name inside of your mind, don't say it out loud, but just hear yourself saying your full name, most of the time that's how the voice of God sounds. It sounds like your thoughts. Um, so you may have an answer, you may have a picture, an impression, you may hear God actually speak something to you, but we're going to take a moment to do that. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us. And Lord, we're asking that you would illuminate in us right now, shine the light of Jesus in these areas in our life. So just ask, your, ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, where do I need the light of God to increase in my life? Where do I need the light of God to increase in my life? Next, we're going to ask, Holy Spirit, what am I giving power to that is keeping my light hidden? What am I giving power to that is keeping my light hidden? So if he's revealing something that you want to get rid of, just begin to ask him to take that away. If you like it, you can keep it, I guess. But <laughs> Holy Spirit, what am I giving power to that's keeping my light hidden? And would you come and remove that obstacle?
The last one is this. Holy Spirit, who in my life needs the light of Jesus I'm carrying? Who in my life needs the light of Jesus that I'm carrying? It doesn't have to be hard. Kindness goes a long way. It doesn't have to be walking up to that person and saying, do you know Jesus? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? It's not, it doesn't have to be that. You can really just begin to love them, make a safe space for them, and attune your ear to heaven and let conversation go to where God will lead it. Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing these things to us. Um, and help us, help us to be, help us to be the light of the world, Jesus. Help us to be like you in that way. In Jesus' name.